All right, so last week, if you were with us, we kicked off the Gospel of John, and right off the bat, we learned these three amazing truths in the very first verse. And so by way of quick review, John the Apostle, right? He's in Ephesus, he's an elderly man, the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to pen the fourth gospel. In the very first verse, he describes the Son of God. In Greek, logos, which in English is translated word. And so he describes the Son of God as pre-existent, co-existent, and self-existent. Pre-existent before the creation of the universe. We see that in the first line. In the beginning. What beginning? Well, at the time of the creation of the space-time material universe, in the beginning was the Word. And so the Word, the Logos, the Son of God, was already eternally existing at the time of the creation of the space-time material universe. He is pre-existent. But not only that, uh, John describes the Son of God as co-existent with the Father and, of course, the Holy Spirit. That's the second line. And the word was, can you guys please shout out the word with? With God. Okay? And so what we see there is the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. We got into that a lot last weekend. One God, eternally existent in three Persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pre-existent, co-existent, self-existent as deity. And that's the last line. And the word was God. And so in the very first verse of John's gospel, he proclaims the divine, the eternal nature of the Son of God. And if you remember this, the angels, they had a beginning. The Son did not. The universe, our universe, our space-time material universe had a beginning. The sun did not. Human beings have a beginning. The sun did not. The Son of God had no beginning and he will have no end. We were also reminded last week that the Son of God is the creator of all things. By way of quick review, look at verse three. Look at verse three. It says that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Pretty clear, the Son of God is the creator. In fact, Paul, later in the New Testament, put it this way in his letter to the Colossians. In the context, him there is Christ. Okay, and so by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Okay, so do you see it? What Paul is saying there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Christ is not only the creator of all things, all things were created, right? For by him, all things were created. He's not just the creator. He's also the sustainer of all things. Last line, in him, all things hold together. In him, all things consist. So ladies and gentlemen, who alone is the creator and the sustainer of the universe? And the answer is Almighty God. And that's why Paul went on in his letter to the church at Colossae to say that for in him, in Christ, the, this is a fascinating verse, by the way. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
dwells bodily. That's exactly what the apostle John wrote about in John chapter one, verse 14. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're actually going to deal with John 1, 14 now, and then we're gonna um, go back to verse four and um, go verse by verse to the end of the message. So right now, if you are looking at John chapter one, verse 14, can you say amen? So I know you're there. All right, and so remember in verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Now look at verse 14. And the word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. John was an eyewitness of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. It's called the incarnation. The incarnation took place when the eternal God added a sinless human nature to his eternal divine nature and became a man. That leads you to your next point. So very important. Since the incarnation, Christ forever has two distinct natures, divine and human, in one person. Okay, so what are we, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're being very theological this morning. Why? Because that's where we are in the Bible as we go verse by verse. We're talking about who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's very important that you understand that Christ forever has two distinct natures, divine and human, in one person. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, is fully God and fully man. And I hope you believe that with all of your heart, because that is the truth. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Now you need to know that he showed his two distinct natures, divine and human, during his life here on the earth. He displayed his divinity when his appearance was transfigured on the mountain in Matthew chapter 17. I don't know, I don't know if you remember that story, but Jesus decides to take Peter, James, and John, the inner three, up to a high mountain, and as he's on the high mountain, the Bible says that he was transfigured. Now, of course, his divine nature wasn't transfigured. Why? Because God can't change. God is immutable. It was his appearance, his outside change was transfigured. And Matthew tells us that his face, get this, shone like the sun. And so imagine tomorrow if we have a clear day and you walk outside at 12 noon for a lunch break, don't look right at the sun because you'll hurt your eyes, but imagine Christ's face shining like the sun. The Bible says that his clothes right, were, uh, became white as light. And what was he doing? He was allowing the glory of his deity to burst through his humanity on the mount. I believe Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. Go to Israel, we'll take you there. We'll, we'll take you to the bottom. We'll, sh we'll show you the mountain that he went up. So he showed his divinity at the transfiguration. Fully God but he's also fully man. And so he showed his humanity during his life as well when he got tired. Does anybody here ever get tired? 
Why? Because we're human beings. Well, Christ was fully man, and so he got tired. That's in John chapter four. Like you and I, he got hungry. That's Matthew chapter four. Like you and I, he got thirsty. That's John 19. Like you and I, every once in a while, he got sad. That's John chapter 11. And even lonely. That's Matthew chapter 27. And so fully God, but fully man. And we thank God that that Jesus Christ became fully man. Why? Because the author of Hebrews tells us that he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And so that difficulty that you're going through, that trial that you're going through, don't, don't think, well, God can't relate. Guess what? God can relate because God became a human being. He knows what you're going through and he loves you. Fully God, fully man. And the disciples eventually came to this realization that man, when we saw him, we saw God in the flesh. When we heard him teach, we were listening to God in the flesh. When we embraced him, gave him a hug, right? We touched the God-man, fully God, fully man, two distinct natures in one person. Please hear this. It's when we get the biblical view of the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-existent, co-existent, self existent, creator, sustainer, eternal God who took on human flesh. It's when we get the biblical view of Jesus Christ that our hearts are moved and we want to worship him with all we got. I've told you guys this before. Yeah, we should thank the Lord, right? I told you guys this before. You know, I'm a football fan. So this afternoon, I'm gonna be watching the game. And I grew up in Tampa. And so I'm gonna be rooting for the Bucks, and I'm gonna be cheering and I hope they win. But here's the thing, all my cheering for a football team, shouldn't I be cheering even more for the Lord Jesus Christ? Shouldn't you and I be cheering even more for the eternal one, the Lord Jesus Christ? In the first service, someone actually shouted out, go Bucks. And I said, I said yeah, man, promote that guy to head deacon right now. You know, he's, he's got the job right there. And so, we see now in verse four, John continuing to describe the Son of God said this. So right now, if you're looking at John one, verse four, can you say amen here? So if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. We just go verse by verse by verse. And so in him, in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and I love this part, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John tells us in verse four, in him was life. And that matches what Jesus said. Uh, And John, he'll say it later on in John 14, six. I am the way, the truth, and the what? and the life, and so in him was life, and then John goes on to say in the middle of verse four, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. And so in other words, what John is saying here is that Christ's life 
gives light to our dark world. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we live in a very dark world, would you agree? Kinda seems like it's getting darker, doesn't it? We live in a spiritually dark world that's filled with sin, filled with ungodliness. Now what you need to know if you're new to the Bible is that it wasn't always like that. Listen, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, when he was done, God said, and I quote, very good. Can you imagine if we could go back in time to the beginning and see the creation as it, as it initially was? So full of beauty, so full of light. But you guys know the story. I don't have to tell you it in detail. Because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, the fall occurred. The Bible says in Romans uh, 5, I think it's Romans 5, 12, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. So God is good. God created everything beautiful and perfect and so full of light. Adam and Eve messed up. I say that because I, I wanna make sure that no one's blaming God for what the mess that we're in, okay? For as by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passes upon all men for that all have Sinned. And now, because of the fall, man is in desperate need for light. Man is in desperate need for redemption. Watch any news show today. Read the headlines today or on any given day. What you're gonna find out is we live in a very dark, spiritually dark world. So here's my question. Does God care? Does God care? that we live in this spiritually dark world? Does the Lord care that the world that he created, which was once so beautiful and once so full of light, now lies in darkness? And the answer is yes, a thousand percent. Yes, God cares with all his heart. And somebody says, well, why doesn't he do something about it? He did. He did something about it 2,000 years ago. The Father sent his one and only Son into our fallen world to shine his light and offer us deliverance from the darkness. Listen, the answer is Jesus. The problem is the world's ignoring Jesus. They're ignoring the answer to their problem. Jesus Christ put it this way. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That's a promise of God. You need to, and I need to also, take that to the bank. That if we follow Jesus, we're not going to walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And so if you and I, if we wanna avoid the pain that our sin is gonna bring into our lives, we gotta stop walking in darkness. We gotta turn to the light of the world. I remember when I once walked in darkness. I was a little kid playing some game, hide and seek or something, at a friend's house. And I was in an upper bedroom somewhere trying to hide. The room was dark. And I'm running around, right? And all of a sudden, boom! I just went, my chin, top of my chin went straight into the corner of a dresser. And oh my goodness, you would thought the world had come to an end in my life. I was crying. There was blood. There was pain later on there was stitches and I could have easily on that day I could have easily avoided all that pain if I would have just one done one simple thing when I went in that room if I would have just turned on the light it never would have 
happened. If I would've just flipped on the light, the darkness would've fled and I would've been okay. What's your point? Well, it's Jesus' point. Jesus said again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what do we need to do? We need to allow Jesus to shine his light so we're not stumbling around the darkness, so we're not slamming into the consequences of our sin. I'm not saying that, if, that, that Christ will give you a perfect, happy uh, life and you'll never have pain ever again. What I am trying to tell you is that you and I can avoid a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in our life if we will just follow Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna find out in verse 12, and I'll explain it more when we get there, but we're gonna find out in verse 12 that if a person will receive Christ, believing in his name, that person will become a child of God. And then, as his born again, saved child, if that person will make a decision, I am gonna follow Jesus Christ as his disciple, then what the Lord promises to do, he promises to shine his light, to illuminate that person's path so he doesn't have to stumble around in the darkness. Now, one of the primary ways that the Lord does that is through the light of his word. So one of the primary ways that God illuminates our paths is the, the living word illuminates our path through his written word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so it's when we follow the light of the world, right, by reading his word. And not just reading it so we get a lot of knowledge. That's not enough, no. By allowing it to go to, from our head to our heart to our feet and we actually start living it out, right? When that happens, what happens is that the Holy Spirit illuminates our path again so we don't have to stumble around the darkness, so we're not slamming into things and we're not enduring the consequences and the pain of our sin. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, whether you're in this room or maybe you're watching right now or you're listening later on at the podcast, but right now, if you're walking in darkness, if you're walking in the darkness of pride or greed or selfishness or lust, if you're walking in the darkness of drug or alcohol abuse, if you're walking in the darkness of pornography or premarital sex or extramarital sex, if you're walking in any of these sins or any other sins, here's my encouragement to you. My encouragement to you, my exhortation to you is to stop, turn from that darkness and turn to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. That's my encouragement. And like I've told you a thousand times, when you turn to Jesus Christ, he's not gonna be doing this. That's not Jesus, he's gonna be doing this. Yeah, woo, welcome home, I'm so glad you're out of that darkness. Let me shine my light on your life. That's our Savior, that's our Lord. And so now John switches gears and he begins to talk about another John in verses six through eight. So please look at verse six. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so John is writing about another John. Verse seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse eight, 
he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so here John the Apostle introduces John the Baptist. Now if you're new to the Bible, John the Baptist isn't the founder of the Baptist Church. Um, he's not a member of the denomination of um, Baptists. He's John the Baptizer. So John the Apostle, elderly man from Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing the fourth gospel, right? He begins to write about John the Baptist, who was called to be a forerunner for Messiah Jesus and prepare the way for him. And so John the Apostle said, John the Baptist, he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And I, I love the idea of when men and women of God, right, they know the call of God in their life and they step out in faith, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much spiritual attacks they're getting, no matter how um, arduous the road becomes, man, they know what God's called them to do and they take that step of faith and, and God blesses their ministry. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist showed up in the Judean wilderness. And this guy was quite a guy. I wish I could go back in time and just stand by the Jordan River there in the Judean wilderness and just listen to one of his sermons. And so there he is. I want you to picture John the Baptist. And he's there with long hair. Why? Because he was a Nazarite. And he had hairy camel clothes. He had grasshoppers hanging out of his mouth, right? Wild honey is dripping down off his beard. He's got this fiery speech. What is he saying? He's saying, repent. I love it when people don't avoid that word. That's a good word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And many people did just that. When John the Baptist came on the scene, I want you to see the, what the Lord did through this guy. It says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan. That's a lot of people. We're talking about thousands of people were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so God uses John the Baptist in such a mighty, mighty way and many Jews at that time prepared themselves for the coming of Jesus the Messiah through his ministry. Now, how many of you guys know that the enemy is always trying to look for ways to turn a good thing into a bad thing? All right, he's, he's, he's constantly there, he's constantly trying to do it. And so this is what happened because some people, sadly, they began to make too much of John the Baptist. They began to idolize John the Baptist. They began to focus on John the Baptist. Can I just encourage you guys that in our day and age, in our generation, when there's different pastors and preachers and spiritual leaders, listen to me. If you're listening, say amen here. Amen. Don't idolize people. Listen, people will let you down. Christ will never let you down. And there's, there's guys... Um, I, I like to read dead guys who finished well. Not perfect in their life, but they finished well. Those guys inspire me. Um, but what I'm careful not to do is to focus too much on one man or, or some, too much on one man's ministry. Because here's what I know, that that guy is just a guy. He's just a man. 
he's gonna let us down. And so Christ, Jesus Christ, will never let you down. And so what happened is John the Baptist had such a, a huge following that John the Apostle felt it necessary to write this in verse eight. Please look at verse eight. He, John the Baptist, was not the light. <laughs> but he came to bear witness about the light. In other words, John the Baptist had no light of his own, but rather he did a great job testifying about the true light. What, what, what we could say about John the Baptist and his ministry is this guy did a wonderful job reflecting the light, the true light of Jesus Christ into his spiritually dark world. And so John's relationship with Jesus reminds me of one of my favorite illustrations that I probably give you guys about once a year. I'm gonna do it again. But John's relationship with Jesus reminds me of the moon's relationship with the sun. All right, so what is the sun? The sun is a massive star of burning gas, hydrogen and helium. It's located in the middle of the solar system and get this, it's over 90 million miles away from our planet. You say, which one's our planet? Third planet from the sun. Okay, that's the Earth. And so, can you believe this? Over 90 million miles away? Now, what's even also kind of mind-blowing is that planet Earth is orbiting around the sun. You guys know this. It takes about 365 and a quarter days for the earth to orbit around the sun, and the earth is traveling about 67,000 miles per hour. And during that time, what is the sun doing? The sun is giving an uninterrupted stream of light and is dispelling the darkness of space away from our planet. Okay, so that's the sun. What is the moon? Well, the moon, as you can see from the picture, has no light of its own. Now I'm gonna come back to that in a moment, but the moon is a large round rock in space. It's about 240,000 miles away from us. The moon orbits the earth um, every 27 days thereabout, and it's got a lot of purposes, but one of its main purposes is that its gravitational pull creates our tides and it stabilizes the earth's tilt angle. And what I love about the moon is the moon is the right size and it's the right distance away from the earth to allow us here on earth enjoy a stable environment. Now, when you think about the sun or you think about the moon or you think about uh, so many other things in our universe, in our world, right? In our own bodies. You know, well, when we see these things, it tells us there is design. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's design, there's a designer. It's a no-brainer. Now, the moon is important for a lot of reasons, but one of its most important functions or roles is obviously reflecting the sunlight to our Earth at night. Again, the moon doesn't have any light of its own, but it does bear witness to the true light of the sun. I think you know where I'm going with this. Look at verse eight again. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so like the moon, John the Baptist had no light of his own, but he was called to bear witness of the true light, Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist did an amazing job. What are we called to do? The same thing. 
We're called to be like the moon. We're called to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, to bear um, witness. We have no light in, our, uh, uh, in and of ourselves, but we're called to allow the Son of God to reflect his light off of us. Why is that important? Because we live in such a dark, dark, dark world. And so it's so important we get this, this idea here, this illustration, and the reason I give it to you like every year is because I know you're gonna see the moon a lot in your life. And every time I, you see the moon, I want you to think, I'm supposed to be like that moon. So once again, just like the moon reflects the light of the S-O-N so that people can see their way at nighttime on earth, so you and I are supposed to reflect the light of the S-O-N into people's lives to help them navigate through their difficulties and problems and issues and darkness. How many of you guys know that people need the Lord? How many of you guys know that people are going through hard times? How many of you guys know that people need ministry? The problem with our sin nature is we wanna be all about ourselves, focused on me, myself, and I. And the Lord wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on people who are in need and reflect the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. Otherwise, we might as well just go to heaven. But there's a reason we're still down here on earth. Reflect Jesus. Now, we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of theology. Well, we're gonna deal with some more in verse nine. We're gonna pump the brakes. I'm gonna ask you guys to put your thinking caps on. We're gonna get into a little bit of apologetics here, but this is gonna help you um, as you deal with skeptics or agnostics or even atheists maybe in your life. So right now, if you're looking at John 1, 9, can you say amen? amen? Okay, stay with me here. The true light, which gives light to how many people? Everyone. Does that mean everybody's saved Nope. You want to get saved, go down to verse 12. We'll get there in a moment. We're in verse 9 here. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. All right, who's the true light? His name is Jesus Christ. And what does he do? According to verse 9, he gives light to everyone. And so I'm, I'm personally grateful that God is good. I'm personally grateful that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I, I'm so grateful that God um, has given all mankind the light that theologians call general or natural revelation. And this general revelation, ladies and gentlemen, points to the truth of the existence of the one true God. Everybody gets that light. And so part of the general revelation that God gives to humanity is creation without and conscience within. Creation without, conscience within. And so in Romans 1, 19 through 20, you don't have to turn there, I'm just gonna read it to you. I'm gonna explain a little bit about general revelation here. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Who? Mankind. All right, so what can be known about the one true God is plain to mankind because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation, can you guys please say the word creation here? So his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, mankind, are without excuse. And so in Romans chapter one, 19 through 20, Paul is telling us that the creation, the things that have been made, they point to the eternal power and to the divine nature of the creator. It goes back to what I said earlier. If you look around and you see design in the universe, design in our world, design in the human body, if you see design, you know there has been a designer. Now, in Romans 2, verses 14 through 16, we see another witness. It's the witness of conscience within. Paul says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law, listen, listen, is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so what is Paul saying in Romans chapter two, verses 14 through 16? He's telling us that man's conscience bears witness to the fact that there is a moral law written in our hearts. God did that. Everybody who's ever entered into planet Earth, anybody who's ever been born has the moral law written in their hearts as their thoughts accuse, A-C-C-U-S-E, or excuse, E-X-C-U-S-E, that person with whatever they're dealing with. Now, uh, listen, you have somebody, they've never even read the Bible, but you know what they do in their life? They make judgments. That's right. Well, that's wrong. Well, that's right. Well, that's wrong. How do you know? You've never even read the Bible. Here's how they know. They have the moral law written in their hearts. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's a moral law, there's a moral law giver. You see, this points to the existence of God. Just like if you need a prescription, you go down to CVS, to the pharmacy, Every prescription needs a prescriber. The moral law tells us there's a moral law giver. And so what is the Lord doing? The Lord right, has given us the witness, the witness of creation without, the witness of conscience within as general revelation to all. Can you guys say the word all? All mankind. Now, stay with me here. <laughs> but here's what you gotta understand. No one can be saved by general revelation alone. And so lost people need the specific revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to turn to Christ. They need to uh, receive Jesus Christ believing on his name, as it says in verse 12. And so, so it's so important, and, and by the way, this is all through the New Testament. I'm just gonna quote Acts 4.12 to you. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So clear, right? 
We need Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so as the Holy Spirit is drawing people, if that person responds to the light of general revelation, God is faithful and God is gonna give them more light. In other words, what I'm saying here is that if someone responds to the light of creation, if someone responds to the light of conscience, then God's gonna give that person more light. And I'm so glad that many people have eventually received the light of specific revelation, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I'm talking about this with you guys is because I know that one of the main objections to Christianity, right, one of the main objections to Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one goes to the Father but through me. Nobody. Okay, so one of the main objections to that is the person who says, well, what about the guy, you know, on the remote island who's never heard? Okay, so you and I, this is apologetics time, you and I need to know how to competently answer that question. And so, because people are, are asking that question, you know, how can God be fair if that guy, the proverbial guy on the island, right, who's, who's never heard, you know, what about him? All right, so I'm, I'm gonna share with you how you can answer that question um, by sharing um, an illustration that I learned when I was getting my master's degree in theology from Dr. Norman Geisler, um, who's one of my heroes in the faith and is now with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so if you're with me now, can you say amen here? Amen. All right, so think about this. You have a guy and he's lost in a dark jungle and he doesn't know how to get back to civilization. He has no idea, it's dark. And so that night, you know, he climbs up this hill and he looks and he sees way far on the horizon a speck of light. All right, so what should that guy do? He should respond to the light and not reject the light. He should move toward the light and as he moves towards the light, the light gets larger and larger and what happens is eventually he gets back to civilization. But what if he sees the light way far on the horizon and he's like, nah, and he walks further into the darkness? Who's to blame? Not God. Listen, the enemy wants to sell us a lie that God is some evil tyrant in heaven. No, God's done everything God can do in order to save people. Whose fault is it? If he turns around and goes into the darkness, it's no fault but his alone. And so God gives everybody general revelation, part of which are the lights of creation without and conscience within. And it is man's responsibility as the Holy Spirit draws him to respond to and not to reject the light. And if he responds, God will give him more light, eventually leading to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God sent Peter to Cornelius. He sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. Way out in the desert somewhere. God loved that guy. And God's like, I wanna get that guy the gospel. Hey, Philip. And you know the story. He sent Paul to so many pagans. Have you heard about this? He gives dreams about Jesus to many Muslims. Look that up. It's amazing. 
Why is God giving dreams, right? And so we have these parts of the, of the, of the world where there's um, no or limited gospel witness. Why is he giving dreams to Muslims? Because God loves everybody and he wants them to know the truth. He's giving dreams to, the, to many of them about Jesus. He sends the gospel to millions of people who are online. And by the way, he wants to use you because how many of you guys know we have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's like 10 of you who said amen. Every single voice in this room and everybody watching online, on the count of three, we're all gonna say amen because we're gonna take up this responsibility to share the gospel with people as God opens doors. One, two, three. Yeah, we need to do that. God sends missionaries to foreign lands. And so if the guy in the remote part of the earth responds to the light that he has, God will get the gospel to that guy. God's a loving God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand here. I am not talking about anybody being good enough to be worthy of heaven. Please do not think I'm teaching that. I am not. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am not talking about you know, being good enough to be worthy of heaven and then God will show up and give you more. No, what I am saying, I'm saying that we have a responsibility as human beings to respond to the light God gives in his grace as the Holy Spirit draws us. It's God's grace as he reaches out to us. And nobody who one day hears the awful words, it kind of makes me shudder, but nobody who one day hears the words, I never knew you, Depart from me. Nobody can ever cross their arms and say, that's not fair. You didn't give me enough light. No, verse nine says, the true light gives light to everyone, part of which are the lights of creation and conscience. But if man suppresses the truth, and that's what Paul says in Romans one, if man suppresses the truth, turns around and walks off into the darkness, eh, right? He has no one to blame but him. Self. I just wanna emphasize before we go to verse 10, we have a responsibility to share the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ with others. All right, please look at verse 10, we're almost done. Stay with me all the way to the end, all right? It says that he was in the world, Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so the creator of the world, the Lagos, the word, the son of God, he comes into the world that he created and the world doesn't even know him. That's sad, but what's even more sad is he came to his own people. You know what that is? That's Israel. And his own people did not receive him. Now how many of you guys are ready for some good news? We're, we're getting to the good news right now. So look at verse 12. This is the grace of God. It gets me excited. But to all, can you guys say all? All, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received him. What does that mean? Well, the explanation is in, in the next sentence. To those who believed in his name or who believe in his name. 
Now, the word believe is monumental, right? So we have to deal with this. Um, what does it mean? Chuck Swindoll wrote this. I like this quote. The word believe in the original. He says, when I say I believe in Jesus Christ, I declare that I trust him. So I want you guys, please, to say the word trust. I rely upon him. Please say the word rely. I have placed my complete confidence in him. Please say the word confidence. All right, so the word believe means trust. It means reliance. It means confidence in, all right? And so verse 12 again says, but to all who did receive him, what does that mean? He explains it. Who believed, trust, rely, confidence in, in his name, his name. All right, what was his name? What is his name? His name is Jesus. What does his name mean? It literally means the Lord saves. Jesus, Yahweh saves. And that speaks of our need and it speaks of his mission. All right, so what's our need? We need to get saved. I'm not talking about a lot of you who are already saved. I'm talking about in general mankind. We need to get saved. That's our need. We need to be forgiven of our sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. That's, that's, that's physical death. That's eternal death, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Jesus, Yahweh, saves. It speaks of our need. We need to be saved. We need eternal life. Why? Because we're lost. And it speaks of his mission. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How many of you are glad about that? That's his heart. That's his love. That's his grace. He came to seek and to save the lost. And who are the lost? Pardon the bad English, it's all y'all and me too. <laughs> Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ladies and gentlemen, hear, hear this. We cannot be saved till we realize and admit we're lost. I think that is one of the main messages Americans need to hear. Because so many Americans, right? Oh, come on, pastor, I'm a good person. God's gonna let me in, he lets good people in. Bad people like Hitler, of course they're in hell, but I'll be in heaven. Oh my goodness, have you been deceived? You haven't been, you haven't been deceived about Hitler. What you've been deceived about is yourself. Because listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of a savior and thank God that God didn't just say fine no God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life and so admitting I'm a sinner in need of salvation you gotta, gotta hear this admitting I'm a sinner in need of salvation knowing I can't save myself by my works knowing that my sin is wrong and I need to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus Christ. I believe, what do you believe? I believe in who he is. He's the eternal God who took on human flesh. I believe in what he did, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then he went to a cross willingly, why? To, to die in our place, 
to pay for our sins, to shed his blood. He died for us in our place and then he rose again. I believe that and I believe in him. That means I put my trust in Christ alone as my, can you guys please say the word my? My savior, not, oh yeah, he's the savior of the world. No, no, listen, it's gotta be personal. My savior and my Lord. And when I do that, according to the authority of John chapter one, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, children of God. That's a pretty good deal. That's the grace of our awesome father.